Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Sports Today proudly presents the Chuck Oliver Show. It's an inside look at everything college football. Now live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time to talk college football with the reigning king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. win having the opposite effect this year for one power conference Chuck Oliver show on a Wednesday this will come up a little bit later but Heath just hold up a number of fingers uh power do we just say power conferences is it still power five even though it's power like there is is it power four is that the actual phrasing we're using now I mean, we probably should call it Power 3 because, like, the ACC and the Big 12 are half each. But officially, it's Power 4. Yeah, and when was the last time the numbers actually measured? Like, the Big 10 hadn't been 10 in, like, 30 years. So, like, if we call it Power 5, eh. What's the basketball tournament in Philadelphia? The Big 3, the Big 5, the Big set? Like, none of those schools are really big outside of Villanova, are they? Yeah, Big 5, I the guess. Big 5. Uh, you, you, some years, I guess, Temple's pretty good. The Big Five. Nah, if we were actually changing it based on where you are in the food chain, then it would be the big one and a half. And that just doesn't sell tickets to that big tournament. So um, we call it whatever we call it. But there is a guaranteed. I mean, you can't. It's baked in. Annual PR win. That every, I'll say, pro sports league and college conference, the whole spectrum. High schools could do this, and it's built in, guaranteed, 11th commandment. It can't be anything but awesome. A schedule release night broadcast on your pro leagues or college conference boutique network. Folks, it's only a positive. For all the reasons we know about human nature, when we get the schedule release party, it's nothing but a positive, even for a fan of a pro team that's not very good or a college program that you know we don't have the money, we don't have the recruiting, we don't have the facilities, we don't have the coach. I don't donate enough, neither does he, so... Even those fans, you know what you get excited about? The schedule release party. Except if you're the ACC. As the ACC early leaks have come out ahead of, it's tonight, right? On the ACC network, I think from five to, and we're on all kinds of time, so I apologize. Like if we're listening to us and it's already happened, but it's uh, ACC network tonight, correct? Correct. Yeah. Uh, So you'll get the whole, like all 13 or 14 Saturdays will be stitched together. You'll have dates. You'll have sometimes, some you won't, but some, sometimes. 
And so all of that will be put together tonight. Well, what we have had in the NFL net, the NFL does everything as far as getting its message out and customers for life and breadcrumbs enough to keep you interested. They can survive anything. The NFL, Ray Rice, Mike Vick, it doesn't matter, man. License to print money. And they do a schedule release party. All it is is, hey, in five months, we're going to play these games. Can't get enough of it. It comes on like 8 o'clock at night, 7.30. We're beating on the glass. Put words on the screen. Do it now. (laughs) I want to see the game my team's going to play in October. But it's April 23rd. Yeah, I know. Show me. So we just – and it's nothing – and when I say human nature – We're always about what's next, and I need something to look forward to. I don't know. This is a first-world problem, but I have a friend of mine, and she said, if I go online and I don't have something in my Delta queue, I'm a little sad. Heath, you're a traveler. Isn't there that, that element of it's just out there, that it's planned and booked? It's seven months from now, but that helps me get through the treasury day to day because I've got something out there, the carrot at the end of a long stick, but it's still there, right? Yeah, absolutely. I got two trips already planned for uh, February weekends and got a trip to the PGA Championship planned for May. By the way, I'm taking a day off that day. Oh, fantastic of you and your wife, I assume. Um, So we need something kind of out there. And that's why recruiting we get, we get more excited about a 17-year-old that we've never been within five states of than we are for players who are already running around on the field bleeding and sweating for the team that we support. There is something about human nature because the future hasn't let us down. The future can still be what we want it to be versus five and seven. And so the schedule release, I mean, for everybody in the conference, the schedule release, it's kind of groovy, except for the ACC. What I am talking about is we have now had leaks about all of week one has been released ahead of the full schedule and then scattered games throughout the rest of the year, most of them the non-Saturday contests. As these leaks have come out, We're actually seeing the conference shine a very bright light on some borderline desperate measures to stay relevant or at the least to relevant to have buoyancy. There are Thursday night games. There are Friday night games. There is Stanford at Syracuse on a Friday night. Heath, have you... Dive down through the week one. Really, Stanford at Syracuse on a Friday, topped by I don't know at least Syracuse, Cal at Wake Forest. What are you? Are you flying to Greensboro and driving? Like what? That's impossible. It's the first matches of these historic ACC rivalries to be, Chuck. They're trying to showcase them. Why aren't you getting into the spirit of this on a Friday night? Cal Golden Bears invade Winston Salem. Folks, the conference itself, you know how we were, think back, go back in time like three, four months ago, you know how we were all pointing and laughing at Stanford and Cal and SMU at the deals they were willing to take just to try to stay relevant or at least have buoyancy? 
the conference is just a larger version. I mean, like the conference in Charlotte, like the league office, Phillips and his entire staff, the conference as an entity, folks, it's only a larger version of those three programs that we were making a mockery of just a couple of months ago. A larger version of Cal Stanford and SMU making a tough, very public and declarative statement that our product doesn't measure up and we're making concessions. The exact same things those three programs did to join the ACC, the ACC is now doing and announcing its schedule because you know what we got to do? We got to kiss up to these broadcast partners because we got 40 extra dollars. No TV money for nine years? That's SMU's version. Playing on Friday nights? A lot on Friday nights. That's the ACC's version of what the SMU did. Brunch with Wake Forest. Oh, by the way, do we know that that's a real thing? Heath, did you know Brunch with Wake Forest? Like, there were T-shirts, Brunch with Wake Forest. Do you know what that was this past season? I have no idea, although I'm sure it was extremely pleasant and enjoyable for all involved. Brunch with Wake Forest. If you go back to September 9th, Vanderbilt at Wake Forest, 11 a.m. kick, so that on the ACC network, they could have not three broadcast windows. I remember this now. I didn't realize it was branded as Brunch with Wake Forest. Heath, (laughs) T-shirts. Wow. And there were concession specials. Four broadcast windows on a Saturday on the ACC network. So on the set, we are going to start a tradition. We're going to push this ahead. Not like because we're in the Pac-12 and we got to do some broadcast. No, 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 no. We're in the right time zone. And we're going to have brunch with Wake Forest. To create four game windows instead of just three, the ACC network did this. Wake Forest kicked off at 11. At 2.15, does this all seem like a heck of a lot of effort for these four games I'm about to tell you? 11 a.m., Vanderbilt and Wake, 2.15, Charleston Southern and Clemson, 5.15, App State and North Carolina, 8.30, Southern Miss and FSU. Does that seem – I played a 16 teaser when I was at Harris – Hit all six. I won like $93. That was a whole lot of work to bring back whatever the t- 93 bucks or whatever it was. Because yeah, you get a lot of points. Um, it was a whole lot of work. I had to go 6-0. and oh. Harris could have gone 1-5. and five. And I didn't have much of it. It was fun. That's what the ACC was willing to do last year. Now, here is the full scope of this. The ACC is making sound, in-the-moment choices regarding bringing in programs, scheduling outside the traditional windows, etc., but it's an end game. It ultimately makes it look like a barnstorming, more legit Mac. We all kind of have fun with Tuesday. What's Tuesday night, folks? In college football, it's maction. But don't we kind of have fun with them? Are we laughing with them or kind of a little bit at them? When the Sun Belt sort of, hey, we're going to rebrand. We're the Fun Belt. Were we laughing with them? 
A little bit. Were we laughing at him? Well, we all understand your place. Because you know what Greg Sankey has never done? Put together a working committee to come up with a humorous alternate name for the conference to make the SEC stand out. You do that when you don't have the actual product. The ACC, when you don't have the actual product, you know what you do? You play a lot of Fridays. You play a lot of Thursdays. You play a Monday night. You play on Sundays if you can. They're making the sound in the moment choices they need to to stay afloat. Tough truth. George Klyavkov and the the ghost of Pac-12 past would love to be a publicly humbled take the crumbs conference right now. They'd love it. So while this is not fun in any way for the conference to have to admit their shortcomings comparatively, like this and a schedule release party and i'm looking at the schedule release party going how did you turn a schedule release party into an like such a bright light on your limit oh you had no choice stanford at syracuse this is not fun in any way i gotta say for everybody in charlotte the whole staff they are still in Venice. And will likely continue to be even after 2031 when actually, see, that's when the window really opens for FSU and such to to, uh, get out of the conference. I think the ultimate disrespect would come like if FSU changes its name to an unpronounceable symbol to get out of the contract early, like something like that. Like that's the only thing, because this this lawsuit that they have right now against the conference is not going to go anywhere. So there's going to be a, because 2000 is January of 24, folks. 31 is still a long way away. Um, So there's something weird. There's another curveball approach coming from FSU. I can promise you seven years is a long time to sit around and think up a way to attack the league office. So that's what it is. They're making these choices, but it's the choices to keep them afloat right now. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Jump into it on this Wednesday next. college football talk with the king of college football it's the chuck oliver show on southern sports today it's wednesday on chuck oliver show and the portal it still do spin but there's i remember seeing i don't david you're 30 is that right yep you know mc hammer was yeah okay i was i have to go pat he's still with us but he was mc hammer I remember him talking about going through bankruptcy, and he said, he says, a celebrity in bankruptcy, he said, it's not like y'all in bankruptcy. He says, a little different. There are different types of, I'm in the portal. There's, I'm in the portal because it's time to get broke off. Then there was Will Rogers, who, I don't know, when you've completed more passes than anybody in the history of the SEC, and then you transfer to Washington, you portal to Washington, and then UW has a coaching change. He portaled, but it wasn't like when most other people portal. It was different. We had a now, this was kind of different because I want to say, gosh, two weeks ago, after the announcement from Coach Saban, and then Caleb Downs gets in the portal. The thought was a lot of Alabama fan, uh, players are going to portal because it's just due diligence at this point. Get your option in place. And then if you 
the new coach when he's named and you still dig Tuscaloosa and I'm only two credits short of graduation and blah, 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 blah. So I'm going to, I went into the portal, but it was just sort of an administrative category. I have to do this now. Have you ever seen like the announcements that on the last day before a legal window expires, like a filing will come in? All it does is kind of placehold until that reaches the judge. Or, like, There are times when a guy will portal because I don't know what my situation is now. And I'm a quarterback, so it's kind of important to me what offense we're running. And Kalen DeBoer, I watch Michael Penix like everybody else. Gimme, gimme. Oh, he's in Allen. Okay. And I'm not an option there. So uh, who's your coach? Okay. Now it's Jed Fish. And then Jed Fish, true loved him, apparently. As I said, MC Hammer, mm, his bankruptcy probably wasn't like ours. Same thing. Will Rogers getting in the portal. He needed to get to know Jed Fish. Folks, Jed Fish can coach especially offense, especially quarterbacks. And so Will Rogers, who has completed more passes than anybody in the history, as you say, uh, he has withdrawn from the transfer portal. He has given Jed Fish uh, his answer, and the answer is yes. What up, he? Well, uh, part of it, too, I think, has to be that uh, Fafita, the quarterback who really broke out this year for Fish at Arizona, he and McMillan, their stud receiver, both announced they're going to stay put. I can only imagine how hard the folks with the NIL side of things in Tucson work to keep those two dudes home. And so if you are fish, once you can't bring that guy with you and the young quarterback that was in place to be the next guy at Washington's going to Tuscaloosa, having Will Rogers around the house while you try and get your next guy in place, you could do a whole lot worse than that. So it makes sense for everybody involved. Yeah, it really does. And last year, it was kind of strange. In the first season, he's basically had three full seasons of starting, I'll say. His first season where it was a run-based attack is where he got hurt. And I think it may show just if you have a quarterback – who is in unfamiliar waters, even waters with an extra offensive lineman, a tight end, and a fullback occasionally, I don't, whatever. Even waters where he should be more protected and he should throw the ball a lot fewer times. When he's unfamiliar with what he's doing, there's hesitation. And when you hesitate, when you, quote, play slow, even a half count, that's not what you – you can't have that on a football field. And so Will Rogers is wanting a landing spot, and he's got one with Jed Fish. Jed Fish can do, do some good stuff. Yeah, there's no question, and I, I think, again, a lot of us are going to be curious to see as they adapt to life in the Big Ten, kind of what that looks like. And so if you are fish, having an experienced guy to help you navigate that is probably not a bad thing at all. Uh, now the question, again, is going to be uh, for everybody involved, as you try to piece that thing together, what can you do after the spring? You know, if, if, if you're fish, for example, if Michigan opens up, can you grab somebody right now after the spring portal opens up, who can you load up and get in there? Maybe you can get a young quarterback to be behind Rogers and be that next guy. So uh, there's, there's still more pieces to be put together, but it's a good start. All right. So uh, again, a lot going on. Uh, just a couple of quick other things here, Chuck, that I wanted to touch on. I don't know if you saw this or not. The, uh, the Heisman odds are out from the folks at one of the national sports oh, fantastic. books. The, uh, the folks at Harris, I don't know if you, next time you're up at Harris Cherokee, if you can throw down on these or not, because they're not the ones who put them down. I don't know how long it take them to get the, odds you know, out. The, there, there are times, Ethan, I don't know this, but there are times that a traditional, like a storefront casino, 
won't take bets on something that gets voted on. That's not always. Like the U.S. presidential election may be different, but there are times that they won't do that. That's changed, though. It used to just be the online books that would do that. Yeah, normally they have Heisman odds. I just don't know if they have yeah. them in, in January. But, uh, Chuck, you want to take a stab at who the uh, two leaders are, the co-leaders in the Heisman odds to start, seven and a half to one for each of them? Oh, my goodness. Uh, take away the mystery. Quinn Ewers. Well, that's one. And uh, go ahead. Carson Beck's the other. Oh, Carson gosh, Beck. Chuck. Bad Chuck. Bad Chuck. Yeah, Carson Beck and Ewers are your, your first two. And neither one of those is shocking. Experienced quarterbacks on teams that are expected to be high-end talent. Yep. Dylan Gabriel from Oregon, 10-1. to 1. Will Howard at Ohio State, 12-1, to 1, along with Jalen Milrow. I don't think I'd be running to the window to put my ticket in on Jalen Milrow at 12-1, to 1, but that's just me. I'm not even sure he'll yeah. be the quarterback at Alabama this year with that guy that came over from Washington. But, Chuck, the one that got my attention was the next one. Those five guys are the only people in America right now listed at the moment you can bet on for the Heisman with lower odds than Nico at Tennessee. 15-1. to 1. He's played one game, looked mighty impressive in that game, but one game against Iowa, and he's already number six in the country in the Heisman odds to start the season. I don't know if there's ever been a kid that has more pressure, more hype, more buildup on him between the the talk about the NIL deal coming over from California, this year in waiting where even with a guy in Joe Milton who was once upon a time Mr. Superstar to be himself, it's like, yeah, it's nice. Joe's nice. When do we see Nico? When do we see Nico? I mean, this kid is going to have to be borderline perfect to live up to the expectations on him. It's kind of wild. It is, and it's a combination of what you're talking about from the expectation standpoint, and then also it's a January. We have Robert Faringo on sometimes. Book him from Doc Sports Service. And he talks about the January, February, you know, like the, the, the March, the spring numbers. He says they're never going to be sharp because what they are is for the Penn State fan who's in Vegas with a Franklin, and he won't. it's March. He won't be back before the season, so he'll just take whatever. So you don't give sharp numbers early. That's part of it. But that ain't anybody else. Like, that could be any quarterback that you're not given a good number to early. Um, specifically, that is, I'll say, speculative at best. Now back to Southern Sports Today and the Chuck Oliver Show. States and 60 sticks. We do it every day. Two hours talking college football. Thank you all for that blessing. For Brian Kelly, I don't know, pick from the gumbo of words, feel, chemistry, fit, comfortable, whatever it is. The fit of a staff and of a particular coach on that staff, it's way, way, way important to Brian Kelly. And like Mike Denbrock, who just left, he first worked for Brian Kelly before the internet. Like, they've known each other a really, really long time. And he has decided he's not going to upset what is left, which is everything except Mike Denbrock. So, now, that's what I know, and that's good. And chemistry, and Brian Kelly knows what he wants, he's going to get it. What I don't know is how having co-coordinators works. I don't know that it doesn't work, but I don't know how it does. I want to welcome on right now. From the Bengal Tiger, it's an on-three thing. Shay Dixon, welcome back, friend. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? 
Doing good. Uh, there was an opening coaching spot on the offensive side. I don't know if they filled that, but they Brian Kelly has announced he's going to have co-OCs, correct? Walk through this. That is correct. Co-offensive coordinators, and I'll get to the other part in a minute. They just finalizing or finalizing the 10th on-field hire, so the final one, but they're moving forward with Joe Sloan and Cortez Hankton, who Joe Sloan was the quarterback's coach. Hankton was the wide receivers and passing game coordinator. A wide receivers coach and passing game coordinator for LSU the past two seasons. Kelly hired both those guys when he got here. And guys with Louisiana roots, look, Joe Sloan's been coaching in Louisiana for over a decade now with all the time he spent at La Tech. And then Cortez Hankton, obviously, is a New Orleans guy, native, went to St. Aug, uh, left the state to play his college football, but now has been back here coaching for a couple of years. And we saw the production that Joe Sloan got out of Jaden Daniels from what he did at Arizona State to what he did in year one to year two at LSU. And then by that same token, look what Cortez Hankton did with Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas, two Louisiana kids who Malik finishes with the wildest stat you'll hear. But he set LSU in three years, LSU's uh, career catch record and receiving yard record. And uh, for the old folks like us, uh, that would be breaking a Josh Reed record and a Wendell Silly. Davis record. So. Some, uh, some throwback names there, but uh, he coached up the wide receivers really well. Sloan did things really well at the quarterbacks, and they had this combo for Wisconsin. And Brian Kelly said, hey, look, I'm going to monitor these guys, look at it, judge from within. And at no point when they had to hire five new defensive coaches, he fired all five of them yep. to hire new ones, did we hear anything about other offensive coordinators? And even Tommy Reese came on the market. Never heard any buzz there. I think this was the plan all along was to move forward with, hey, let's let's maintain some sort of continuity here. We've got two guys we like. We'll put them in these spots. Uh, Sloan will be in the booth calling the plays, hanging on the sidelines, running things there. And obviously they'll help put the, uh, together a game plan with the analysts and the rest of the offensive staff and Brian Kelly during the week. So um, I know for some co-offensive coordinators or co-coordinators, can be a scary thing. It doesn't work out sometimes. And at other times, look at Georgia. Uh, They've won a number of national championships with co-coordinators on defense. So uh, I think LSU fans are happy because this one doesn't rock the boat. If you have the worst defense, one of them in the hundreds, in college football, wipe the slate clean, no one's upset about that. But if you've got the number one offense in college football, and yes, you're losing the Heisman winner, but you've got a Garrett Nussmeyer who's played under Sloan for two years and been coached by him, you're not changing playbooks or philosophies or anything, and the hope would be you can kind of just keep things rolling. Well, who's the 10th assistant? It's going to be Slade Nagel. They're finalizing a deal now. Uh, he's been at Tulane for Yeah, tight ends coach, years. right? Yes, tight ends coach, and then he uh, became the OC and called plays for them. Uh, obviously did not go with Willie Fritz to Houston. Ended up staying put, and he had some interviews with a number of SEC schools, but uh, ultimately he settles on LSU, and uh, the, I think that's kind of where he wanted to be as a Lake Charles native, a guy from Louisiana who's coached at a number of schools here in Louisiana, most recently, as you said, uh, a long time at Tulane as a tight ends coach, and then moving into that role as offensive coordinator, even interim head coach whenever Willie Fritz left, and they played a bowl game. So this is a guy between him and his dad who, Coached for a long time in Louisiana high school football, uh, are respected names in Louisiana. And I'll give you a, an important stat, <clears throat> at least for me and Brian Kelly, I think, putting together this staff, this was an important thing to note. All 10, and I don't think this has ever happened in LSU program history, all 10 of the on-field assistants have coached in Louisiana 
in college, many also in high school, before this year. So when you want to lock down, talk about locking down Louisiana, one of the most talent-rich states out there, your 10 guys who are allowed to hit the road and recruit know this state like the back of their hand. All of them have experience. So I think that's a very big thing to look at. Talking to LSU, Shay Dixon, he does it for on three. Big, giant source for college football info. That's what I use it for. Um, all right, Shay, Joe Sloan, this may, you said he's going to be in the booth calling plays, and Cortez will be on the field making sure everything's on time down there. Um, tell me what you believe Joe Sloan's DNA on the offense is, his imprint, because I, with Denbrock and a Heisman winner, it looked really, really good. Um, what do you believe at least will be the approach? It's up to the kids. They got to go execute. I know, but what do you think is his, his signature on this? I think he's first and foremost, a quarterback developer. So he's going to be able to put a quarterback and understand the strengths and weaknesses to put him in spots to win. I don't think they deviate far from what the playbook looked like with Mike Denbrock, uh, running it because at the same time, people have always viewed this as a Brian Kelly offense and, Look, when you get a Jaden Daniels, you kind of he just goes and does what he does. And uh, but back to a Garrett Nussmeyer now, he's the guy who's going to use the tight ends. That's something that Brian Kelly has been very well known for uh, over his time at Cincinnati and Notre Dame, and now uh, he's got some really talented tight end group here at LSU. Uh, so I think that we'll see a little, you know, more twelve personnel than they used maybe this year with Jaden. But again, I think it's going to be one of those things where it looks pretty similar to what they did, not completely the same as what you do with a Jaden who's going to run the ball a lot, but uh, very similar to what the game looked like against Wisconsin when, look, they put up nearly 500 yards just short of it, and uh, Nussmeyer passed for, what, nearly 400, 390-something in that game. Uh, they'll air the ball out, they'll put it in the hands of the playmakers, and they'll run the football um, probably 40% of the time. So uh, I think pretty balanced. Um, I don't want to say it's going to look like a Georgia offense, which really leans on 12 personnel, but something similar to what we've seen out of LSU here recently. And uh, for Brian Kelly, I think he's comfortable with it. Look, he'll be on the headset. So between him and Sloan in the booth uh, and then what they put together during the week and Hankton obviously can help manage the sidelines and get everybody together. I just think Kelly sees this as, hey, this is the fit for us right now moving forward. At one point, um, I remember Coach O, when it was right after he got the job, like he's looking at Alabama going, we got to keep that guy out. Uh, no more recruiting our five stars. Um, and now it's several years later and Saban's gone. Uh, that changed. Like, at some point, I don't know if it was Coach O, I don't know if it was a transition to Kelly, but LSU has kind of started to, like, you can't, you know, build a fence, but they kind of built a fence around Louisiana, hadn't they? Yeah, and the one school, it sort of shifted. You're absolutely right. For a long time, it was Bama, and it was the Devonta Smiths of the world, right, that were – uh, and even before that, Cam Robinson, guys like that, that were leading the state uh, and playing at Alabama, Landon Collins, you know, I could go back and across the past decade uh, and give you guys who really Bama was the only school coming in and getting them if it weren't LSU. Recently, it's been Texas, and Steve Sarkeesian's got some guys on staff that have Louisiana ties, and during that transition from Coach O at the end to Kelly, I don't think Arch Manning was ever going to LSU. No. But they got Arch Manning. They got Derek Williams, who was the number one or two safety in the country. I, I know people had him in different spots, but he's a Louisiana kid. And then they signed a couple of this past cycle. So that's been cool to watch. Now, Ellis hired Davis, which was a very big piece to the Texas recruiting staff, especially on the defensive side with defensive linemen. Uh, and then I mentioned that all 10 on-field assistants have coached here before at 
different colleges around Louisiana. So they know the high schools. They have connections. I don't think it's very bold of me to say that they're probably going to start locking up Louisiana even more than they have in years past, and that's going to put teams like Alabama and Texas at bay a bit. All right, last question for you, and this is like a very far-down-the-road view. When the 24 season starts and we play out those three-and-a-half months, um, where do you think the LSU program is right now with Brian Kelly? Because after two years, it's two 10-win seasons, but you also play more games now. Um, 10-4, and 10-3, and three, and again, that's with a Heisman winner. Where do you think, you know, quote, two full years in, where do you think Brian Kelly has the program to his own expectations? I'd have to think he's got it on track. Any coach is going to look back and say, man, we could have won this game or that game, and you would have had 11 wins. But um, looking forward, I would say you put the floor of this team with an expanding SEC is they can't – they've got to get to 10 wins because in, what, the final two seasons with Coach O, they had 500 finishes. And um, that's just kind of how everything unraveled there at the end, which led to Scott Woodward parting ways and bringing in Brian Kelly. But at the same time, that final season when you know they had fired Coach O midway through the season but allowed him to continue to coach, lame, we want to call the lame duck kind of situation, but that doesn't benefit really anybody in the program. And uh, they went to that Texas Bowl with under 40 scholars, fewer yep. than 40 scholarship players. You'll remember that. John Trey Kirkland, a receiver for quarterback in that game, uh, and Kansas State had their way with LSU. But uh, that was the first losing season since 1999, Jerry DiNardo. And uh, DiNardo left, and old Nick Saban showed up in town. And uh, what are we at? 23 years later, Nick Saban's retired. So uh, to see Kelly go back-to-back 10-win ten, ten seasons to follow up the first losing season since 99 makes me believe, okay, in year three, the floor has to be 10 wins, and you're probably more privy to this and the feel of it than I am. But I would think a 10-2 and two season, depending on who you're losing to, if you're in the SEC, that's putting you firmly in an expanded playoff conversation, and that's the goal. Uh, I really will let you go. Just a com- confirmation or not, did I see something? Is there a junior day thing going on this weekend? They got a recruiting event going on campus? Yeah, so everybody kind of around the SEC and the country is doing their junior days at yeah. some point, the first one in January, and LSU's going to do their first one this weekend. So uh, they'll have a number of five stars. I'll, I will say, too, add to this, they have the number one recruiting class in the country right now uh, for next cycle, and they, it's headlined at the top by a five-star in Bryce Underwood, the number one overall quarterback. Uh, but don't forget on offense, it's going to keep getting better because DeCorey Moore, the number one receiver in the country, is committed to LSU, and then Harlan Berry, the number one running back in the country, is committed to LSU. Uh, and just a quick glance ahead to the guys who are in that 26 class, I did a story on it today, Three of the top five, now that Juju Lewis is reclassified, the USC quarterback committed out of Georgia, has reclassified into 2025. Three of the top five players in the 2026 class are here in Louisiana. Two of them are in Baton Rouge. The other's in New Orleans. That's silly. LSU could be set up here for a pretty impressive run while holding the number one class now and looking into a future where you've got a handful of the best players in America sitting in your backyard. And look, one of them goes to you high. That's they practice next door to LSU's football ops building. So uh, they're set up well for these next couple classes. Jay Dixon on three. He knows what it's about, man, when it's LSU. Thank you, friend. Appreciate your time. Anytime. Thank you. Jay Dixon. Good stuff there. So, yeah, but it's it's supposed to be juniors, but it's just basically it's the class that doesn't get signed in a week and a half. 
that's what it is because there are kids from the next couple of classes that will be in. I've always said this, and boy, is Louisiana having one of them years. Always said this, the big four, I know what the big three are, and you can choose an order. Florida, Texas, California. Any order is right. If you want to be your shoe on the table that Texas has the best recruiting and then those other, okay, I side with you, I vote yes. Or California, Florida. Georgia's fourth, and it's a strong four. Bowie said Louisiana and North Carolina. <laughs> Man, if you know the ways to the high schools there, you can win championships in those two states. Now, every state has that. It comes along ever so often year. We've talked many times in the moment. Was it the 18 or the 19 class in Mississippi? Mississippi had a year with like five five stars. So a generational sort of, you know, high school Recruiting class in a state, quote, like Mississippi, numbers-wise, if South Carolina ever has a year, I think they might have had the number one player in America in back-to-back years. Lattimore and Clowney, consecutive seasons? Weren't consecutive. We're within, I uh, believe, three years of each other. Okay. They had, South Carolina doesn't have enough people to have the number one player in America. Oh, except it's high school football, and he can play for a class A. He can be Jimmy Chitwood. Um it does it. You can be anybody and be the number one player in America, even unless you go to IMG, Bishop Gorman. So it's always been Louisiana and North Carolina. Those are two states with a lot, a lot of kids. And then when they have that year where, like Mississippi, I don't know where they would rank in recruiting, and it's irrelevant, but just not in the top six or 10 or 15, I would guess. Pennsylvania and Ohio and. And then somewhere down the road, Mississippi. And then they had that year, you're like, ooh, look at Mississippi. When a state like Louisiana has that year, and credit Coach O, because he was just blatant about it. He's like, got to keep that guy out. Then they kind of started doing that. Was it easy? No. Did they do it? I'll be darned if, yeah, kind of. And you like you, I remember Larry Fedora got hired at North Carolina. You know, the very first, his very introductory, I'm Larry Fedora, and it's great to be here in Chapel Hill. Do you know what he said within like a minute or two or three later? Uh, build a fence around. I was like, no, you're not. Muschamp gets hired at Florida. We're going to build a fence. I was like, around what? We can build a fence around the practice field. You can build a fence. There are too many players in Florida. Build a fence. What are you going to do? Put them on, like, softball scholarship? You're going to build a fence? I'll be darned in Louisiana if they hadn't done a really great job of it at LSU. And they've got everything in place. Every advantage that you could get out the yellow legal pad and a black ink pen, start making a list of things that you would, on a wish list, you're going to start a program. It's the Texas State Armadillos. What is it that you want to be part of this program? Look down. Once you put like, I don't know, 18, 19 things on this list, you know what you're looking at? LSU, LSU, LSU. Everything's in place. And it always had been. Now, they're actually executing this build a fence thing. It's not like they just joined the conference and look at the money. It's a flowing. Like, I don't know, UCLA, your recruiting should improve, shouldn't it?
They get full figure the first season. They get full broke off the first season in the Big Ten. That's so you got to be better, Chip Kelly. In this case, mm. all right, we're going to take a quick break and we will continue on this Wednesday next. the king of college football no matter where you go with a new southern sports today app catch the best college football conversation in the south everywhere with the sst live stream and daily podcast downloaded now at the app store and the google play store now more of the best college football talk in the country it's the chuck oliver show i had a incredible experience the last three years in columbia uh with shane with those players there with the coaching staff there our family. Uh, sorry, I'm getting a little emotional right now. But uh, it was it was a very special time. Pete Limbo. Big feelings. Press conference as he is now the former South Carolina special teams coordinator. Oh, it's not nothing when a Beamer hires you to be in charge of special teams that's kind of something and we've talked with bartu what's today wednesday uh yesterday dr bartu and he's like dude's top five like big 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 time influence and special teams they had a game where they won because of the punter two seasons ago so like i've seen that happen now they also had a blowout loss to florida where it looked horrible where the punter scored the only touch or threw the only touchdown of the day i think um but beyond like the anecdotal individual plays like that guy's good and now he's a head coach somewhere so that's what that is hey how's wednesday yeah chuck i don't know if you wound up talking to him or not but i mean the fact that south carolina brought their punter to media day this past year oh yeah yeah. sec in nashville oh he's got name image likeness what is it a tractor company or something yeah he's got uh he's got the uh, Kubota folks there with the tractors punters punters don't get name image likeness money not generally, so yeah, that that does drive home just how yeah. uh, unique and how uh, how special Limbo was on special teams. That is somebody they're going to miss, and they're going to miss a whole bunch. I uh, saw something I thought was interesting, Chuck. You know, we talked obviously about the future of college football on this show and how much of it is going to be dictated by TV and whatnot. Uh, a dude named Tony Altimore, who is somebody out there who uh, works in the business world, but he broke down. Between 2016 and 2023, which programs actually had the most TV viewership? And it came down to 18 teams and said 18 teams comprise 50% of all college football viewership between 2016 and 2023. Obviously, not going to ask you to guess all 18, Chuck, but we know who they are. I'm betting in your head now you're still doing it, even though you're not doing it on the air. For the record, these are the 18. These are the 18. If you're a fan of one of these teams, you're golden. It doesn't matter how bad your team gets. Half of it is about you. How screwed up it is. Your team is golden. These are the magic 18. Bama, Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan, Clemson, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, LSU, Penn State, Texas, Auburn, UF, Wisconsin, Washington, FSU, Tennessee, Southern Cal, Oregon. Those teams comprise 50% of all TV viewership, those 18, in the last seven years. Meanwhile, 
71 schools combined, Chuck, had only 10% of all total viewership. If you're in that group, you're going away. Bye-bye. Nice knowing you. Maybe we'll have you back for homecoming sometime. Eventually, around 2030 or so, if you're that group, you're going away. And and the battle between the schools that aren't in the 18 and aren't in the 71, Chuck, that's where it's about to get fascinating. Yeah, that's why SMU is saying we will forecast that far down the road and take no TV money so that we are still at least on the boat when all of this sort of comes to a head in about seven years. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.